Hello, and welcome to The Intellectual Bend. I am David Gonzalez of Weird Fish Media, and this is my show. All right, Oscar, we are going to talk about our topic today. Our topic today is how should Christians engage on social media, all the different social media platforms. And I think this is a good to- topic because, I mean, as you know, I've, I've been posting ad nauseum because, because I've been thinking really deeply about the things that are happening in the world. And I don't want that to be an indicator for the people that are listening to this and the people that are seeing my posts of, I just started, I just picked up the cause. Like these are things that I've been thoroughly interested in in the culture for the last five plus years like i've really really been interested i don't know god just put it in my heart i i I love observing the culture i love theology and i love trying to make sense of it and i know that i won't always be able to fully make sense of it until jesus comes and reveals those things to me so so we wanted to talk about today just how should christians engage on social media it's 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 a big thing today and there are a lot of different philosophies on how to engage there's you know there's all these different ways to engage uh pastors and and therapists alike will tell you to disengage and to shut it off and for for the for the majority of people that's a true thing but uh for some it isn't and so oscar and i will flesh that out a little bit okay oscar just your initial thoughts, man. What what is social media to you? What how should Christians see just view social media? What is it? Uh, so I'll just go out and just I've been thinking about this a lot. It's it's the Areopagus. It's Acts seventeen. It's the marketplace of ideas. Um, if you run a business, you're on Facebook. If you um, have any sort of uh, opinion, you put it on Facebook. For better or worse. So whatever the psychologists say and the sociologists say and whatever effect social media is having on us, Facebook, Twitter, all that, for better or worse, it's the marketplace of ideas. We do almost everything on there. You can even send money. It's it's even a bank, okay, Um, which is exactly what some of the ancient temples were, right? They weren't just idol worshiping, you know, places of sacrifice, they were banks, they were the marketplaces. So I've been thinking about this. And how do I contextualize this from a Christian perspective? Facebook, again, for better or worse, and I know what the sociologists say, I know what the uh, psychologists say, I know what all the experts are saying, and I'm not going to sit here and disagree. I'm not an expert on it. But for better or worse, from a Christian perspective, it's the Areopagus. It's the place in Athens where the Epicureans and the Stoics, where the philosophers and the poets and the rich and the poor and ideas are coming together, again, for better or worse. Um, And the Areopagus, Mars Hill, um, is where Paul goes. He sees that there's these idols everywhere. He even sees there's an idol to the unknown God. They had so many gods. They're like, wait a minute you know, let's hedge our bets against whether or not we're actually worshiping the right God. So let's create this unknown idol that, you know, just in case. And he goes in there and uh, Luke even makes mention that 
they they brought Paul in. They basically force him into this Areopagus, this arena, to this place of ideas, and make him preach the gospel, and uh, give him a platform and, and ask him questions. And it says because they love to hear new things. In other words, Luke is telling us that they love to hear people's opinions, and so. Um, so I get why pastors would tell some of their flock, Hey, you need to be off Facebook. Tremendous respect for that. I get it. But whether we like it or not, Facebook is the Areopagus. It's the new Mars Hill. And some of us have to be the Paul that goes in there and begins to engage that marketplace of ideas, right? If things suddenly shifted back to journaling and back to writing letters to people and newspapers, then we should be engaging there. Um, We've never seen anything like social media where information flies as fast as we can. I mean, if I update, if I go on my Facebook right now, I haven't been on it for three hours. If I go right now, I probably have, I've missed 10 or 12 things. I've got 10 or 12 likes and not likes and people commenting everywhere. So whether I like it or not, it's the marketplace of ideas. And I think, we have to think of it like the Areopagus, which means that it doesn't mean we go in willy nilly and we just sort of vomit all of our opinions and, and our ideas and we use it as therapy. It means we go in and we think, okay, I'm not going to win everybody for Christ. But that necessarily wasn't Paul's goal either. He knew he wouldn't get the Epicureans, he knew he wouldn't get the Stoics. He went in, he presented the gospel, and then he let God work. And so we should do the same thing with Facebook. Let's look for opportunities to present the gospel. Nobody stops me from posting scripture online. I can copy and paste the whole Bible. Nobody's going to tell me not to. That, that's a privilege. And so we should be taking advantage of it anywhere we can, not just to express our opinions that we want to get across, but to express the gospel truth without without anybody persecuting us that that's a beautiful platform so yeah so yeah. do you so you don't see so you don't see so facebook social media is a new areopagus do you not see yeah. there is tolerance there is a welcoming of the exchange of new ideas do you see yeah. a shift in social media where they're shifting away from the the ability to uh, tolerate and and receive new no. new ideas which um, Christianity from, isn't a new yeah. idea, of course. No. Uh, from Twitter, I'm a little discouraged. And I think like Snapchat and some other places. But Mark Zuckerberg, interesting enough, Facebook, he came out and he's like, we're not going to regulate this. I mean, he didn't quote that directly. He was just like, he's, he's like, it's a platform for free speech. He's like, we're not going to go out there and flag every hate speech. Of course, they have fact checking and all that kind of stuff. But Mark Zuckerberg, basically, I was really encouraged by, I know a lot of people, including some conservatives were upset by it, but I know Trump's upset at Twitter because they, they did something to him. They were fact checking him. Yeah. Fact checking him. I mean, look, if you're going to be on Twitter, fine. Fact. My point is, no, I don't. Facebook has come out. At least Mark Zuckerberg has come out and has been like, we're going to let things continue to be as they are. If you want, if you have an opinion, you want to express it you know, we're going to allow that to happen. We're not going to police basically the internet. We're going to let people express themselves. And of course they have their limitations on that, you know, um, but I'm all in favor of that. I, so, so that, 
yeah, no, I don't think, I think, I don't think Facebook for sure. I think Twitter's moving into probably an area of censorship. Seems like Snapchat is, but a lot of it has to do with president Trump. That guy would just get off Twitter. My goodness. Um, but Facebook has committed to, to not really policing these things and allowing opinions and, and different ideas to come across. And I, I see that as a big plus for the gospel. I see that as a big plus for Christians. So. Yeah. Well, so as you said, the, there's this huge exchange of ideas happening there, which indicates to me that if you want to meet people where they're at, if you want to have an exchange or engage with the culture and fight the culture battle, um, which, which for us Christians, there is a cultural mandate on us. Yeah. Um, if, if you, if you feel that conviction and it's there and we've been called to do it, then, then that, that battle, that exchange of ideas, you're working out, you're working out your faith should be taking place on these social media platforms, not, not, not taking the position of a retreatist where you will just sit in your home engage with maybe one or two people and go to church. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to evangelize people, you should move into a heavily populous area, right? You shouldn't live out in a farm in the boondocks. Um, if you, if you're like, if you're a single mom, or single mom, if you're a mom that stays at home with the kids and you don't see anybody, you should be going to the grocery store at the heaviest time of the day to engage with people. So you should all, if, if you're going to be a missionary, if you want to be a missionary to your culture, which every Christian uses that term, oh, let's be, we're about missions, let's do missions. Okay, like we're all about missions. You should be going where people are going. And again, better or worse, whether we like it or not, the health effects, the mental effects, all that, not, people are flocking to Facebook. They're throwing their opinions out there. They're throwing their ideas out there. They're lobbing them at us. And they're saying, this is what I believe. And Facebook has given us this platform to go, okay, that's what you believe. Here's the truth. Yeah. Why would we not take advantage of that? And in the best possible sense of that word, why would we disengage from that? You know, because we've, because we're like, well, we're not really reaching anybody. You know, you're not really loving people on there. You're not, you know, you're just expressing your opinion, you know, and the Proverbs say, you know, a, a fool's opinion is his, you know, is his bed or whatever. And it's like, no, I get that. Like, I get the wisdom of that. But there's another thought to this. This is, this is where people are going to show us who they are. Um, let's engage them. And let's, Facebook doesn't take down any of my scripture posts. I can, I can quote anything up there. That's pretty fantastic. Why wouldn't I then every morning think to myself, what scripture verse can I post today? And could it possibly help somebody? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I get it. And I'm in, I'm, I have sympathy for those pastors and uh, those leaders that would probably like some of their members to stay off Facebook. Um, but I think um, ultimately it's the place that we need to be and it's the place that we need to, to it, go to. There, there's, there's, there's a lot of different factors there. Of course, some people, for, for some people, this thing, this platform, this, this thing of likes and engagement and people like sympathizing with you or, or empathizing with you. And uh, that's become an idol for people. Yeah. And, and for others, I think they're not, they're not well equipped to engage 
in in such a manner that's going to be beneficial for the kingdom of God, right? Like they're going to go in there and they're going to butcher it, right? Because they, their digest, their readers digest, if you will, is primarily Fox news or something else. It's not scripture. Uh, It's not, they're not really in the word. And then for others, but for the, for the thinking serious Christian who is seriously working out their faith and on their knees in prayer and in their word and have accountability how how should we, and this is rhetorical between you and I because we're doing it, but how should our Christian brethren uh, engage people on there? Like, you know, there's lots of ideas out there. There's lots of things. There's lots of f- falsehoods and mistruths that uh, do we just let those go or do we do we engage? How do we how do we how do we fight our bot- battles there? I'm more apt to post something and let somebody comment and go through that feed, then I go fishing for things that I want to comment on. So like you engage with a a mutual friend of us, of of ours a lot. He tends to, um, he tends to troll you. Yeah. And he tends to troll a lot of people that we know. Um, and then I start to see those conversations. I'm like, okay, David's handling this pretty good. Christy's handling this pretty good. Okay, that's stupid. Don't, you know, why is he saying, okay, now he's just being contrarian. You know what I mean? And um, not you, but this other person that we're not going to name. And um, so the way, the way I approach it is that, okay, I'm going to post what I'm going to post. And you're welcome to comment on there and I will respond to that comment. But what I try not to do is I try not to be a troll, basically. I try not to like everything that the people that I disagree with post be like, you know what, this is why you're wrong. You know what I mean? I try to post contrary posts to what they're posting and see if they would engage me, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, unless something's just utterly ridiculous, um, you know, uh, if, if it's just so out of line, maybe I'll right, make a comment. Right. Well, I would, I, would ex- I would expect that if, you know, for me, in the way that I engage, I see things, I see conversations out there or I'm having conversations in private. Cause I think a lot of people will, would rather engage me still mess, you know, behind the keyboard privately than engage me either on the phone or on a one-to-one or yeah. engage me open or engage me openly for everybody to see comment and weigh in on it. Right. Yeah. But, but I would expect if, because I'm willing to look at the things and the conversations and because I'm watching the culture, the news and different things, and then formulate my own ideas and put them out there. And I could be wrong, but I would expect there's a certain time for a Christian brother like yourself, when you see something that I'm doing, there would be your, you would engage me obviously. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I mean, very rarely, I'm a busy person. I, I work for a living. I have four kids to take care of. I mean, good grief. Um, so I can't always, be, I'm not always on my phone. I always miss things. So I share a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, that's a good point. Okay, let's share it. Or I read an article. I'm like, wow, that's a good article. Let's share it. Or I read a contrarian article and I'm like, okay, I'm going to post this, but I'm going to make a little commentary on it. Um, I've been really encouraged lately to just post scripture. And I don't really have a rhyme or reason for it other than nobody's ever stopped me from doing it. And I post a lot of the the book of Proverbs. And the reason I post a lot of Proverbs is because Proverbs, the wisdom literature, it begs for its own interpretation and its own application. 
right. wisdom literature purposefully, uh, I'm not going to say it's vague, right. but it's purposefully, it, it, it begs you to think about what it's saying and apply it to your situation. So a lot of my, my posts, but I've been compelled to post a lot of scripture recently. A lot of it has to do with um, seeing how some of my Christian brothers and sisters are understanding things and looking at scripture and being like, yeah, have you read this before? Um, and then also it's part of, I mean, there's people, I've, I have friends that are going through personal trauma right now who I know that the first thing they do when they wake up is they re, they look at Facebook. They don't read their Bible. They don't do anything else. They scroll Facebook. So if I can put something on there that they can see that they've never read before um, or that, man, that's a good thought from scripture, maybe that gets them to go see it, to go, to go yeah. grab their Bible and read that part. You know what I mean? So part of my scripture verse is like, I'm seeing what my brothers and sisters in Christ are posting. I'm like, yeah, you're not reading your Bible. And then I'm like, I have other friends who the first thing they do is they grab their phone and they start scrolling. Hey, what happened? You know, the eight hours I was asleep. And if I can post something on there, like, man, I didn't know that was in the scriptures. Let me go break, see that. Break their pattern. Yeah. yeah, I can break that pattern and actually get them to go to the scripture. So whether they're doing that or not, I don't know. I mean, I've pre I've preached before. Um, I haven't preached lately. I'd love to get back into the pulpit, but it's just not the what the Lord has for me. But I can tell you that in the short time that I preached and was preaching consistently. You always left thinking, God, did they hear a word I just said? You know what I mean? And and so if you're going to tell me like, all right, Oscar, you know, you're posting scripture up there because you're hoping that somebody will see it and maybe their life will change or they'll go read their Bible. Well, that's just wishful thinking. That's somebody who hasn't gotten up and preached in front of people because that's exactly how pastors feel. Maybe not every Sunday. But that's exactly how pastors feel. They've spouted off these things for 30 minutes, some of them for two hours, God help us. Um, and the first thing you do when you get down is, first of all, you think, okay, did I make sense? And the second thing you think of is, gosh, did any of this get through? Yeah. Did, um, they, did they interpret that right? Because then you hear down, yeah. then you hear it next week that they got this opposite thing that you intended out of the message. <laughs> You get emails or phone calls or text messages. But I mean, so my point is like, if, if the, if the argument is going to be, well, Oscar, you know, you're, you're, you're going, um, you're, you know, you're a needle in a haystack every time you're not going to change people's lives because of posting that scripture verse on there. Excuse me. How do you know? Yeah. How do you know that me posting that particular scripture verse wasn't exactly what that person needed to hear that day at that moment? And it tells me that that's a person who has never gotten in, up in front of somebody, in front of a group of people, has preached the gospel, walked off stage, and wondered had any of it ever stuck, but yeah. would still get back up and do it again. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not about it's not about that I communicate so perfectly that people fall on the ground crying and writhing in repentance. Right. It's about that I present the gospel. In what way did I present the gospel? So. That that's what I that's the challenge that I would have for people that you know argue you should stay off social media and it's no good and it's you know you can't change people through it. How do you know? Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, to use so. your analogy on the pastor, like it's a very in, in the congregation, and for someone to say that one, someone to say that to a pastor, 
but take the pastor out of it for someone to say that to another brother who's posting scripture online is a very pessimistic. So you, you can argue the point, like they can't understand what it is for a pastor to go up there and, and give a sermon. Yeah. It shows, it just shows the pessimism that has crept into the church, which, which may be an indication of their eschatology. Right. But, <laughs> but God forbid that we, we, discourage our pastors from one posting online, but two going up on the pulpit and continuing to preach because they didn't think it was effective enough for them. Right. If we yeah. let the mob rule, uh, if, if the mob takes over the ship and they're just going to drive it to the ground. So thank God that we have optimistic optimism in our church and optimistic pastors who are willing to get up at the pulpit day in and day out, do the dirty work and leave it to God. And, and thank God for men like yourself and there's others who are willing to use the platform for what it's intended and it's intended for a lot, but yeah. you're optimizing and you're putting scripture on there because, because, and you're giving it to God because someone could scroll, something catches their eyes and it breaks a pattern Yeah, and it breaks a pattern or a habitual thing, or it saves them from blowing their heads out or, you know, committing suicide. Let's be. Uh, let's say it correctly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. We have a friend who just recently um, passed away um, because of what you just said. And um, I don't know. You know, I don't know if he ever read. I know he was a Facebook friend. I mean, he was more than that. I mean, I don't know if you ever read anything of the scripture verses that I picked on there, but what if he did one day? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's, I think it's foolish. It doesn't hurt. To, um, yeah. And to, you know, stamp on Facebook, no good. Um, because maybe you aren't comfortable with it. Um, regardless, it can, it can be a means by which Nobody is stopping you from posting scripture. Nobody's policing it. So do it. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? And, and, and do it frequently. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, well, I guess the thing that I would level at Christians is that, okay, if you're going to abstain from social media where everybody's at, where the exchange of ideas is happening, look, I'll, you know, more power to you. If you, if you've got yeah. a problem, but you have to additionally ask yourself if you're not sharing the gospel or, or communing with either your brothers or just with people in general, then there's another issue at hand. Like if you're not doing it on social media and you're not doing it in your private life, then there's a problem that you need to examine and, and fit and change. Essentially you need to consider it. Yeah, I mean, there. So that that brings up another interesting point. What we were talking about earlier, the sort of like the excess and the deficiency, the two sides of the coin, is that there's people who only engage. So, like, if I was standing here as a person who did not know, you know, I'm in a I'm in another town away from my family, working out, and I've only been here for three weeks. My neighbor across the street, my neighbor across the door right here, his name is Renee. He's an African-American. He's in his 60s. And he works at Angelina College down the road. I know my neighbors. <laughs> and I've only been here for three weeks. Part of it is that we're living so close together. 
he was standing outside in a hundred degree weather and asphalt waiting for his ride. I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? I didn't even know him. I'm like, what was your name again? He's like, Oh, it's Renee. And I'm like, I'm Oscar. I'm like, man, let me go get you a bottle of water. And Oh, by the way, how about you go stand on the grass? Because you're going to die, man. He's like 65 years old, you know? Yeah. Um, if I'm, if I'm somebody who's standing here only scrolls through Facebook and only does this and nothing more, I'd be a hypocrite. I've only been here for three weeks. I know my neighbors uh, at home. I know my neighbors to the front, the side and the back of me. Right. Um, right. We, we, their kids come over and play at our houses. Yeah. So the, the excess, the, the deficiency in all this is okay. You like social media, but you don't know who your neighbors are. Um, I, that is a, that's a dichotomy that I can't handle as a Christian. It's, it's not, if, if you're doing a lot of evangelism on Facebook, but you don't know your neighbors, you have a problem. So let's just be honest about that. Yeah. So if it's a, if it's a question of, so here, here's what I would say. If I have a choice between shooting hoops with my neighbor or playing catch with the neighborhood kids or taking the neighborhood kids to the pond to show them how to fish, which I've done and which we always do or evangelizing on Facebook. If those are my two choices and I had to choose between the two, Facebook would be deleted off my phone. Okay. So, cause it's, I'm more impactful there, but we can, we don't have, we don't have to choose either or we can have both. And that's the blessing that Facebook is giving us. I both know all of my neighbors, have engaged all of my neighbors, Amen. and I'm on Facebook. I have two things that I can do. So, um, so I, I have all these different avenues that I can hit to be able to present the gospel in some way, shape, or form. So there you go. Yeah, no, that's 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 good. I think that's good. Um, it's good advice. We we have to examine ourselves. We have to examine our hearts. We have to examine how we're using technology in the medium. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, I, I test, obviously I live on Facebook because of businesses and different things like that. So I, I, I'm kind yeah, of, it's a marketplace. I'm probably more <laughs> on it. Yeah. I'm, I'm more on it than, than probably more people are or average person is anyways. Um, and it can be consuming and addictive, of course. Um, yeah, uh, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. Some people, they just, they want the likes. Who's liking my post today? They just, my post, the clickbait. Yeah. Constantly scrolling, not, not really contributing, just purely consuming. But I mean, but scripture I, tells us there are neighbors that, you know, that just make a loud noise. And, you know, so, uh, you know, even if you're engaging person to person, you can have those people that are just like, Hey, leave me alone. I've, I've tried to be your friend. I don't like you. So it, it's just a different medium. Yeah. But I, I've been struggling or wrestling with the idea of just one, I'm trying to beat an algorithm. There's an algorithm component to social media now, right? Now you've got you there, everybody's there. And when everybody's there, it's almost like nobody's there, right? Unless you're mm-hmm. specifically searching people out. So um, there's ways to get around algorithms to make it to make it in such a way where people see your posts and you'll see like with my strategy now, um, right now I'm a, right now I'm specifically trying to think if you look at my specific posting strategy, which is I'm posting a lot of different stuff. Uh, I'm, 
I'm trying to beat the algorithm because I'm thinking that if you, and I've heard other people who are more expert at this than I am, but if you can post, you know, they're, they're talking about like posting 50 pieces of content a day. Like oh, wow. you really want to beat the algorithm and those, that's business strategy, right? Like yeah, not just yeah. on one platform, but across the different multitudes of p- platforms. Yeah. It's a lot of work to do that, to have 50 pieces of content, creative, interesting content that will get you. I'm not really too concerned about that with with what I'm doing because ideally with what I'm doing with my posts right now, um, some of them are are provocative and controversial. Um, They're cultural things. They're not really political posts, but um, I'm I'm trying to work through some hard things. I'm thinking through what our culture is going through, what our times, the current times, and I'm trying to articulate what I'm seeing. how I'm seeing other, specifically how I'm seeing other Christians respond to the situation. And so as I wrestle through that, I'm putting my ideas out there for the world to see, like, this is the marketplace of ideas. And I think you, I think you and I talked about this earlier. I don't know if we captured this, but you shared an idea with me that, you know, it's very possible that the days of, of Facebook and social media being posting your pictures and posting your food pics, um, those days are probably behind us because now we have people organizing, um, organizing movements, there's business, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of different things that are going on that is no longer about the individual. It's about, it's about marketing, right? Yeah. It's all about marketing and capturing people's attention and getting them addicted and liking and, and getting them to look, to get in their own echo chamber, right? Whatever, whether, whatever that is, it doesn't have to be political but they want the algorithm is in, set up in such a way that it's going to feed you more of what you like so that you stay on social media a lot longer. So how do we as Christians leverage that? Well, for me, it's yeah. like I want to put my ideas out there. One, because I want accountability for what I'm thinking as a thinking Christian. And if I'm getting it wrong, then someone's going to tell me, I pray. Yeah. Um, and I'm also... Um, actively engaging the culture and making really clear distinctions on how we should frame, for instance, how we should frame the conversation around um, racism, like systemic racism, cultural, cultural Marxist categories specifically, not really going after racism because racism is a bad thing. We reject it. It's evil, like full stop. There's no discussion. If you're a thinking Christian, if you're a secularist, like that's evil. It's wrong. Doesn't matter if you're a humanist. We agree. Don't like it, but but our but how we engage and see the language and use the categories is what I'm trying to get at with my posts. Um, is it helpful for me to engage in such a way? Um, because what I my observation is this: that most people won't put their ideas out there for the world to see, especially Christians. their faith is one that's very private. Um, Certain things about their faith won't aren't private. Like if they're going to have a baptism or that they're celebrating their Easter Sunday, they'll post the pictures. But when it comes to engaging the culture and engaging the ideas, um, I feel like the church, especially in this time is like we were, like we talked about, where are the Mexicans? I feel (laughs) like the church is really quiet. And when they do speak up, they're capitulating to the culture. Well, one of the things that I was going to say is that um, you had mentioned, well, 
so one of the things that Paul does, so this is in Acts 17, uh, verse 22 through um, 34. So Paul addresses the Areopagus, Mars Hill. So if you're wondering, I mean, that's driving this whole context. And one of the things that Paul does in here that, um, that you need to be aware of is that he quotes, he, he uh, assimilates pagan authors when talking to this group of, of philosophers. You know what I mean? So he's taking that culture's authorities. Language, yeah. Their language, their ideas, right? Um, and he's hijacking them. He's synthesizing them. He's redeeming um, them. And he's redeeming them. Yeah. And um, he de- Paul doesn't do that a lot. So don't let anybody tell you that Paul always hijacks, you know, the pagans. He does it a little bit in Colossians. He does it a little bit here. But he's engaging in rhetoric. He's engaging in uh, dialectic. Um, he he understands his audience, right? He understands. but He's not playing to, he's playing to their categories without adopting them. He's actually taking their categories and showing the gospel to them. That's the brilliance of Acts 17, 22 through 34, is that Paul, he doesn't go out there. He doesn't quote the Old Testament. He quotes their Greek philosophers, their poets, their moralists against them yeah well what that means is is that paul knew them he read them yeah so paul didn't just know his old testament paul was familiar with the culture in his time that's right what he didn't do was he didn't capitulate to it um he synthesized it yeah he took their categories and he used it against them and he said hey you know you have this guy who is Epitomes, and he says, in him, talking about Zeus, we live and move and have our being. This guy, Epitomes, was talking about Zeus. Zeus is the father of all humanity. He molded them out of clay. That was a Greek concept of Zeus. Paul takes that quote, in him, we live and move and have our being. That was referring to Zeus, and Paul takes that and says, no, that's Jesus. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we have to be better at, Christians were really good at the beginning of synthesizing ideas. And that, that may be something that we have to start to get better at doing, is mm-hmm. taking the categories that our culture is using and then showing how the gospel actually props that up and yeah. makes it better. Yeah, that's, so. an, interesting, no, that's an interesting point. I, I, think, I think maybe as I think about how I'm engaging in the things that I'm posting, I might, I might be missing it there. Um, I probably am missing it there. It's not a might. I probably am missing it there. I don't think the culture understands what's happening anyways. The the interesting thing about that time, Paul's time in our time is, is they knew their categories. They knew their gods. Their gods were numerous. They weren't intimate with their gods, but they knew their gods. They knew the ideas and philosophies, right? But in yeah. our time, when I use, when I, cause I would say you and I, between you and I, we know the categories. We understand yeah. the, we, we understand the underpinnings that are, that are driving these ideas. Right. But the people that are using 
uh, that are being driven by these ideologies don't know what they are. So mm-hmm. even redeeming them, and, and I don't know the answer to this, I'm, I'm putting this out there, but even redeeming them and, and synthesizing them uh, may go unnoticed to, a, uh, to an individual or a people group that doesn't even understand that they've been using the categories all, all along. Yeah, maybe for a little while. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe for a little while. But um, well, what's interesting about this also, you, you have to understand that Paul doesn't convert any of those philosophers. None of the, I mean, as a matter of fact, most of them are like, you're crazy. You're talking about the resurrection of the dead, which the Epicureans and the Stoics, they're offerings of Plato. You know, they, they believe the body is uh, of no use. You know, they have to dwell on the forms. Right. They're dualistic. Um, they're dualistic. I mean, yeah. But, but it, it doesn't go, it doesn't go without, you know, Paul even says, you know, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they may not, those, there may be people that you engage, that you use their categories, you synthesize, you redeem and you use their categories and it falls on deaf ears. Well, but here's what's what, interesting. I'll, let me throw a curveball at you though. Well, can I, oh. Let me let me show you. Let me let me just no, give you ahead. one little cool thing. Yeah, so, please. but one of the persons that comes in, but it says, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite. So, why would Luke name this guy specifically Dionysius the Areopagite? Well, if you know Greek history and if you know Greek mythology. Dionysius was the god of wine. He was a half god who was the offspring of Zeus. Demigod. He is he is most famous for um, the uh, the Bacchae. He is the god of wine. He's a bastard child of Zeus. He goes into Thebes and he is not received as the god that he is. Mm. So so it's interesting that Luke. Luke could have named any of the people that became Christians that day. He's very specific that none of the Epicureans and other Stoics became Christians. But by the end of this, the the guy who's named after the God of wine realizes who the true God of the vine is Mm. and converts to Christianity. And Luke specifically mentions Dionysius. Now, if you don't know Greek myth and Greek history, you miss it. You miss All it. you know is that Dionysius came and a man named Dionysius. But if you're a first, if you're a first century Christian and you know anything about pagan literature, that's the world they grew up in. You would have to start laughing because the philosophers didn't get it, but the man named after the god of wine really and truly begins to worship the god of the vine. It's ironic, the di- yeah. And so it's ironic. Yes, it's hilarious. So we're not left with no hope, but we're, we're left with the idea is that you may use the categories, you may speak effectively, you may even get their, their, chomp, your, their wheels turning, but only those whom God has called are actually going to listen. So. Okay, so the curveball. Sorry about that. No, 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 yeah. you're, that, that, yeah. that was great. That's great. It was a perfect, perfect addition to the conversation. The, the curveball is this. Um, a lot of, a lot of, I think, I think possibly what you and I are engaging is church, is the, is, is the lay, is the laity, is, is our, is our brethren. So when I make the comment about the, the comment about the categories, uh, the, the assumption that they're saved and already Christians 
who don't understand the categories is is kind of where I'm getting at. Like I'm specifically speaking up and trying to frame the conversation about racism, but really not just about racism, but about cultural Marxism. Yeah. Because because the because the church potentially is um allowing the culture to frame the conversation to use to have the language to that they have the moral authority like superiority here right they they have control of the conversation whereas christians should frame the conversation precisely correctly and not compromise the the truth right like yeah there's this idea i think um, I, I generally, and I've shared this with you before, I generally avoid using empathy. Um, I, I just, it's not, it's not a word that I think is, if, if understood correctly, uh, is helpful for our, for, for Christians to empathize. And the, the analogy I'll give is this, I'll, I'll give it really quick. It's helpful because people are like empathy, sympathy, people love empathy right now. And as I understand it, empathy is, we'll use the analogy of quicksand. If you're if an, if an individual is in quicksand, sinking, sinking in lust, sinking in alcoholism, sinking in whatever life throws at him, whatever the oppression is, um, the world will tell you, empathize with that person. And what the world will tell you is to get in the quicksand and feel them and be with them and understand them and embrace <laughs> them, yeah. right? But what happens is <clears throat> you get too much into that darkness without the light. You're sinking. Essentially, you're sinking with them. Yeah. Sympathy, on the other hand, is you can get in to the quicksand and get on their level, help them, see them, feel them, but but you have your hand on truth. You're you're holding yeah. on to something that will allow you to pull not only yourself out but your brother out. Yeah, and when you sympathize with somebody, you're you're not compromising your truth. And what I and what I'm concerned about is that in trying to serve the widow, in trying to pray for walk alongside the oppressed and take up a righteous cause as and and fight against evil things like racism and all those other things what we're doing is um we're we're jettisoning our standards and we're we're completely immersing into that and i'm not making i'm making a very vague general statement here i'm not saying everybody in the church is doing that but from what i've seen with certain responses on social media and when i've heard of uh, and from what I've heard from some people in the church, including church leaders, Matt Chandler. <clears throat> um, did you watch that whole thing? I did. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I can't comment on it. So I haven't watched it yet, but I was just like, <sighs> okay. So who, who, t- who told you this was a good idea? So, yeah. So I, so I see the church leadership doing, doing that, assimilating, jettisoning the, the thing in the name of love. And I'm thinking they're missing it. So in a lot of ways, what I'm doing with my post, and I'm a small fry, I'm not reaching thousands of people, but is trying to make sure that people and, and break the pattern and show that like, this is how we frame the conversation. This is how thinking Christians engage. And, yeah. and unfortunately, I'm, maybe I'm a nuisance, but, um, uh, you know, I'm worried about this. Thoughts. I said a lot there, I know. 
No, 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 that's fine. I uh, I haven't watched the Matt Chandler thing. You you sort of vaguely mentioned it, so I can't really comment on it. Um, yeah, Matt Chandler was, has a lot of uh, relational equity built with me because he's he's staunchly biblical, yeah, staunchly pro pro life. I mean, he's 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 one of the advocates for uh, the pro life network. I forget what it's called, um, Life News or Life Net. Uh, by the way, I'm not condemning him. No, no, I know, I know. Yeah. But I saw the article, another friend had posted it, and I'm just like, I'm I like, saw the, okay. I saw the video as well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I and, and he, and, and, I mean, just from what I saw, the little, you know, we mourn with those who mourn, absolutely correct. Um, I I just, I'm just wondering why every every Christian leader, from the smallest to the largest, thinks they have to post about this. Um, I haven't seen anything from John Piper, which, thank God, um, there's other Christian men who are like, Hey, I'm going to go preach the gospel. But for some reason, these people, they feel like they have to make these comments like Matt Chandler. We know you're against racism. Like you've, you've proven. Yeah, it's like now, you're, I'm, you're, now I, I've yeah. always assumed you were against racism, but now I'm suspicious. Yeah. Nah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And we, we hear you, man. We mourn with those who mourn. Nobody disagrees with that. Why, why do you have to go put yourself in, in a corner at a desk? in front of a laptop, wave your hands around and tell us, we get it. We know. So I, when I saw it, I thought, okay, somebody thought this would be a good idea. Again, I hadn't watched it. I'm sure I would agree with everything he said. He has a lot of, I, I, I adore that man. Really, he's um, got relational currency with you. I'm sure he's got a lot of currency with me because yeah. he's staunchly pro-life, extremely biblical. I mean, he, he studies this Bible, like, like almost nobody I've ever seen. Um, Right. Other than again, myself, my, my comment so, wasn't about him. I just, you know, he's the fact a, that he he's, well, he did anything. Well, the fact that he thinks the, he has to. He's at the top of the food chain, right? He's a very. I famous, mean, yeah, he's a very yeah, famous he, and, pastor, and not and not willingly. He he did an elephant in the room uh, a couple of years ago with Steve Jack, uh, the guy from Elevation Worship, and our pastor actually showed it to us, and we both had commented on the fact that it was like him and a bunch of other pastors, and there was called the elephant in the room. And both the my pastor and I, we looked at each other and we're like, you realize that like all those guys, except for two of them are now disqualified from being pastors. And so, you know, um, and Matt Chandler was one of the two who was it. I mean, he, he has weathered the storm. I, I have a great amount of respect for him. Just what annoyed me was the fact that he felt like he had to put something out. That was what annoyed me. I'm sure I'll agree with him. I just, I just, I was just frustrated that I'm like, dude, you don't have to do this. We know you're not a racist. We know racism is evil. We know we mourn with those who mourn and we sympathize with that. Why do you feel like you have to put, that's another problem. Um, anyways, um, what were some of your other points? Um, well, it was just, it was just primarily engaging the church in, in, in the way that I'm doing. I, uh, I think we do that with, uh, a tremendous amount of sympathy. Like you said, a tremendous amount of love, um, real love, um, not the folksy sort of, uh, liberal love where we just embrace each other, sing kumbaya and don't get on each other's nerves. I'm willing to, um, I don't know. I, I want to make sure that I, I don't want to offend my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay. Not, not everybody's well-educated. Let's just put it that way. Right. Um, and that's a major problem. 
a lot of Christians read a lot of leadership books. They read a lot of books on missions. They read, you know, they read a lot of books on, you know, how to have a gospel centered life. That's not a very good education. It just isn't. They, uh, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where we have a lot of Christians who have a lot of these good little, um, one-liners, one-liners, yeah. but they're incapable. They're not capable of viewing the world within a Christian schema. Yeah. They can't, de- and, they can't think deeper than, than the one-liner or articulate what their faith is really. And in particular, when it comes to matters of social political issues. Um, so a lot of it has to do with just the poor education. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I don't mean they don't have a seminary degree. Or don't think stupid. so much. Yeah, you know that they're stupid. No. You, you don't have a, a seminary degree. I don't think you have a college degree. I think, right? Yeah. Um, you have, you may have a little bit of college. None. I don't know. I've got no college, no seminary at yeah, all. But you're educated. So I'm not talking about what a, a, a piece of paper on a board. Although look, I spent, I spent hours as my wife was pregnant with four kids. I spent hours at my table studying over the scriptures, listening to lectures, engaging with students from around the world. So I'm not disparaging that little piece of paper that I have on my wall. Yeah. But I'm saying you are educated, but you don't have that. So we're not talking about somebody who has a degree or not has a degree. And education is exactly what it sounds like. It's somebody who has come out of, it's a platonic idea. It's somebody who's come out of the cave. They were shackled. They were looking at shadows. They have come out of the cave and stepped into the light. Um, some people are able to do that on their own in the sense of they're able to go out and seek that. And some people, they have to sort of been, they have to be dragged out. I would say that you're somebody who is able to do that on his own. And in the sense of you, you want, you know that what you're looking at is shadows. You know, you have chains on and you know, there's a light coming from behind you and you're willing to look at the light. I'm somebody, I had Pastor Carter not said, you need to do this course. I never would have ever looked Figured away from the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. So, so when I say education, I mean it in a platonic sense that you're, you've, you've been drawn out of the cave. And I think that there's a lot of smart Christian men and women who are still looking at the shadows on the wall, who forget the light behind them, um, especially when it comes to matters of, of politics and when it comes to matter of. And I would say what. Social ills, politics, Social Ills. economics. Yeah. And because they don't have the categories to counter the categories that the Areopagus is showing them. So instead of synthesizing the Areopagus, they embrace it full force. Right. And they just bring it in and they think, oh, this is a Christian category. When as a matter of fact, it's antithetical to what the Christians think. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, so a lot of Christians are poorly educated in that sense, in the sense that um, not that they're stupid or that they don't have a degree or that they're not capable of being an education. It's that, um, they've just never been shown a different way. Yeah. They, they can see the lights coming in. They see the shadows on the wall. They see the shackles, but they don't know where the light's coming from and they have no desire to turn around and look. And our job is to grab as many of those people as possible. And not just for cultural Marxism, but for, for the Christian worldview as a whole, 
We worship the Lord of all the universe. We proclaim in our churches that he is Lord of all. We sing songs that he is Lord of all. Yet when it comes to these areas, we give them over to the secular humanists and to the Marxists and say, hey, here you go. We don't want to deal with this. Well, you know, until they come in and they, they start taking over our neighborhoods. Well, and that's, you know, so. and that's, that's exactly the point. I think, you, I think you hit the nail on the head is we've, we, we cannot adopt a position of retreating into the cave as Christians. Yeah, that's right. We, we've retreated with politics. We've retreated with the culture economics, um, you know, um, abortion started in the, in, in the backyard in Dallas right here. I mean, behind in the, in the church's backyard, right? The Baptist, yeah. it happened right behind the Baptist under their, under their nose. And now we're, and now we need to be careful not to retreat from, I would say social media, because that's where the culture is at. That's yeah. where, that's where yeah. everything is happening at. And if Christians take a position of retreating into their cave, because Jesus is going to save them, we're losing the culture war. Yeah, absolutely. And we're losing, losing the very idea of the kingdom of God as, as the rule of God in all the earth in every aspect. And right. when, and most people, you know, um, the little Mark, the Matt Chandler thing on there, somebody said that he understands the kingdom and I'm like, I'm sure he does. But if you ask people like, what does that mean? When Jesus says the kingdom of God, like just ask a Christian, what does that mean? I bet you, Abigail, your wife, I bet you, you, I bet you a lot of people that we know will say, oh, it's the rule of God in all the earth because they, they've been taught that they know that other people, when they hear the kingdom of God, they're gonna say, oh, that's the gospel. No, it's or part the, of the, it or the church yeah. or the church. And it's yeah, like, yeah. no, 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 it's, it's part of it. Yes. And no, the kingdom of God, when Jesus says in Mark, the first words that he speaks in Mark, you know, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Yeah. He's talking about repent because the rule of God is coming. And if you are not on this side of that rule, things are going to get bad. So, but what most people hear is, oh, repent and believe and ask Jesus into your heart and make sure that, you know, you've said the sinner's prayer. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the rule of God has come. I'm the hair bringer, not me, but Jesus. Jesus say, I'm the hair bringer of that. The hammer's about to drop. You need to repent because right. the rule of God is finally coming to this earth. Yeah. And that's why at the end of the beginning of Acts, most people just wave it off as the apostles are just being stupid or the apostles don't understand Jesus. But at the beginning of Acts, they asked Jesus, hey, are you going to restore Israel now? And Jesus doesn't really give them an answer. But the reason they had that understanding is because they knew that when Jesus said the kingdom of God is near, they knew that to be the rule of God in the earth. The problem is they thought the rule of God would coincide with the redemption of Israel, and it didn't. Right. But they understood it to be the rule, the law of God on the earth. Yeah, the complete, and, the complete dominance and dominion of yes, all things. And so Christians, all things. When we say this side, Christians hear, hear us when we say this side, this side doesn't mean this side inside your heart, inside your body. We are, to be, yeah. we are to be ever, we are to be ever pressing the side and making this side bigger into all areas of the, of our world, of our culture. Yeah. 
of our every, culture, of our business. Every every aspect of this world should come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every aspect of this world, because He is the proper and appropriate King. He is the only one who can rule it effectively, and He has called us as ambassadors to that. But when you start to flutter away and spiritualize the gospel and talk about it's only about getting to heaven, we have a problem because that's not the only thing it's about. Yes, our citizenry is in heaven. Yes, our, their concern is for our souls. Absolutely. Yeah. But the, the resurrection, for example, proves that God cares about this world as well. And he cares about every aspect of this world. And so there is no part of this world, politics, business, education, art, that should not be ruled by Christians. And you can put that out there for the world. Christians are the most able, the most adept. We have the, we have the most principles to lead and the virtues. earth. Yeah. And the virtues, thank you, yeah, the virtues and the knowledge and the wisdom to help this world with things like racism, evil, we have inequity. An we have an we answer. Have an answer. Yeah. But it doesn't, if the answer is a heavenly state somewhere that we can't see only, then you're never going to engage your culture. That's not compelling. It's, That's not compelling. No. Yeah. No, and all you're going to do is wait for the rapture to come and, uh, and take you out of your worries and you're just, you know, whatever. And so... Um, so we, we have to get back to a, a good understanding of what the kingdom of God really means. It's, yeah. it's the rule of God in all of the earth, period. Yeah. And, and you say, well, what does that imply? It implies exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. We should have Christian leaders in politics. We should have Christian leaders in business, Christian leaders in art. Heaven help me. Art. Yes. The best painters should be Christians. We should be running art museums. Um, the best be educators should be Christian. movies. Yeah, we should be. We should be producing movies. not and not the God help me cheesy movies that you see out there. Um, try try producing a movie on the story of David. And God help me if you don't talk about Bathsheba, I'm gonna be pissed. Yeah, I mean that. Talk about let's, talk let's, about racy. Let's see, let's see da, it, uh, divine comedy. Let's see Dante's it, Inferno. Yeah, it would be David's story would be rated R. His son takes 10 of his concubines, puts them on the roof, and has sex with them. That's in your Bible. And Hollywood won't touch that story. I, I mean, so, I, I mean, look. Listen, I mean, Oscar, you just gave me a post for tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about <laughs> uh, David's son. It's a true story. <laughs> Is it that, that's how he showed that he was the king is that he slept with all of David. He showed his girth and he slept with all of David's concubines yeah. on a roof in front of all Israel. Yeah. But Hollywood won't touch that story. And neither you're not going to find a Christian neither, who produces will, that story. And neither will Christians. Christian, no. Christian can barely touch it as well. Uh, We're one, embarrassed I would, by I would it. argue, yeah, they're embarrassed by it or they don't know about it. Or they don't know, um, which is sad. Because they don't read primarily the Old focused, Testament. Well, yeah, because yeah. they're primarily focused yeah. on the New Testament, right? They don't understand. Paul, I mean, good grief. If Paul tells tells people in Galatians to cut their their wankers off. You know what I mean? I mean, he's like, I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be facetious dirty. about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm saying that you know what you were told. I mean, at, it was so funny. I mean, 
after David defeated Goliath, all the, the books and stories is David's there with the sword and he's got his, you know, his foot on his head and all that. The reality is David cut his head off and showed it to everybody. That's exactly, yeah. Yeah. So he took his own sword, he cut his head off and he's like, here's your champion. I mean, he did it for the Lord. So, ah, you know, um, well, we, how do we get there? Yeah. I mean, we, well, I mean, that's the, that's the point. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing we is have to that, be Christian art, right? Christian movies shouldn't yeah. be these, these guys taking their, you know, guys looking at porn, taking their computer and throwing it in the trash. Uh, Christian movies should be, you know, David, you know, you know, losing his kingdom because he sees a woman naked on the roof, kidnaps her, sleeps with her, impregnates her, tries to trick her husband into sleeping with her, who is more virtuous, then has him murdered. I mean, that find a Christian who will make that movie and I'll watch it. But this, uh, you know, oh, I struggle with porn and uh, it's my computer. I'm going to throw my computer away. Give yeah. me a break. My marriage, you know I mean? my marriage is hard. And uh, Oh, you know, God is interested in my marriage. You know, God is interested in your marriage. He's actually interested in you having as much sex with your wife as possible. So get off your freaking computer and go touch your wife. You know what I mean? Um, so anyways. So I'm going to Ed, edit got, that out. <laughs> I've got a lot of, uh, I've got a lot of things to post about Oscar. Uh, so if it gets a little R rated on my social media <laughs> posts, uh, I will have you to thank for that. And so will everyone else. I yeah. listen, the, the social media thing is interesting to me. I, I, you know, I, I sometimes feel hopeless about it and then sometimes I feel emboldened about it. And yeah, with this all, yeah. with the whole thing that's been going on and I've got some other drama things that are happening within uh, some of the things that I'm posting with, with Christian brothers, especially. But on the other hand, you know, I've had people reach out. I've had a lot of engagement. I've had so many conversations like phone, uh, everybody that engages me privately, by the way, because nobody wants to do it in open. Uh, They won't even like my posts, which, Hey, I'm not saying they're guilty or blaming them for it. Uh, But they do reach out to me and I've said, Hey, let's just talk. Let's just talk on the phone. Like this texting thing is not my thing. I got fat thumbs. Uh, it's hard for me to articulate really well on, on my phone. So let's just have a conversation. So I've talked to my, a lot of my black brothers. I've talked to a lot of my Hispanic brothers, a few of my white brothers, just ask them hard questions. And I've engaged so many people because of how I've showed up on, on social media. And I've had people that completely disagree with me and, and straw mad my, my position and misrepresent what I'm saying, completely miss what I'm saying. I don't know how, but it happens, right? And then I've had other people be like, thank you for saying that. Like I shared that post, I, like you said it so well, or it's not even something I said. Sometimes it's just something I shared. Like I needed to know that I needed to read that article. I'm so glad you're doing it and I would have missed it or something. Yeah. Um, So, so I know it's effective um, because it's doing two things. It's, it's helping people who need it and it's, um, and it's causing people to struggle with, with with it as well like people are are wrestling with the with the things that maybe i'm saying with what you're saying especially with what with andrew sandlin's saying you know um Mm -hmm. which by the way i mean every time he posts uh, because i'm thinking so deep about it and i have been for five years people think i've been asked like you're just taking it i'm like no you're wrong i've been reading about this for a long time i'm not an expert at this i'm an amateur i just love it i'm not a professional I'm, i'm not getting paid to do this um, but when that guy, when Andrew Sandlin posts, man, because I'm, in, I'm thinking about it and not just about racism, but I'm thinking about what he's been, what his work is. And it's just, it's resonating with me. 
and yeah. I'm hoping that uh, I could keep that private. I could just talk to my wife about it and my kids, but I'm hoping that as I put my ideas out there, one, I want to be held accountable. And as you know, mm-hmm. I've called you multiple times, like, hey, is what I'm saying off? Yeah. Is what I'm doing, do you see anything wrong with what I'm doing? Do I need to change my tone? Like, am I saying things just off base? I want to, ref- I want to learn. I want to refine my thoughts. I want to be more useful in the kingdom of God. I want to submit my, my, my thoughts and my Christian thinking and, and my working out my faith to my brothers and people, even people I don't know, even atheists who want to engage with me uh, because I care about it that much. And because I won't yeah. lie to my brothers, uh, black brothers, white brothers, brown brothers, I will not lie to them and tell them it's going to be okay. Systemic racism is a real thing. And let's, let's, let's give the culture what they want. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we, we have to engage and, uh, and we have to be willing to concede points as well. You know what I mean? We don't want to be contrarian for the fact of being contrarian. Um, but the unique thing about Christians is that we believe there's a standard of truth. And when, when that standard is taken advantage of, or when that standard is transgressed, or when it's not even thought of, you know, we should become incensed because we care about truth, right? We care about, um, uh, uh, it's, you know, the Greek word for truth is aletheia. Lathia is that which um, doesn't abide. So aletheia is that which abides. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, I told Angel, we have a fifth kid. It's going to be a girl and her name will be aletheia. Aletheia, that's the Greek word for truth. And, um, it, it's this thing, it's that which abides. Um, it's that which doesn't change. It just is. And um, so when truth is attacked, we become, we rightfully so become incensed and we rightfully so want to engage that. And we ought to engage that. I think it's about, some devel- it's about developing a Christian spine and, and the kind of fortitude yeah. to, to engage. And, and asking uh, and asking tough questions like what you said, okay, you know, we're told over and over again by both non-Christian and Christian media that systemic racism is a real thing. Yeah, but the the statistics just don't play that out. Um, you can't you can't prove, it. You can't prove, prove it. it. It's a theory. So so while it sounds good, and and maybe we're not going to disagree that racism exists, but like that there's a systemic racism. Uh, yeah, I'm going to push back on that because it's not true. Um, ra- all races, uh, all races um, in America uh, are doing pretty good uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, Asian, Mexican, African-American. And it's true that there's people, there's a percentage of people at the bottom of the hierarchy. People stack up at the bottom that are going to, there's going to be suffering and oppression. And we should, we should be fighting against that. Well, and oppression doesn't just stack up at the bottom. Oppression happens all the way up. I I had a post, I'm calling them Gonzo, Gonzo Proverbs where, you know, um, it's like give much to, or pray, pray for the, uh, pray for the rich because their, their, their poverty is sweet. Like the yeah. rich, the rich person at the top who has everything that you would think the bottom person would want has their own poverty and oppression. Yeah. They're not, they're not happy by any means. They're not immune, angel, they're not immune to suffering. They're yeah. Angel worked for one of the wealthiest families in Corpus Christi 
and that woman would not leave her house. Um, she was standoffish. She had to have somebody else raise her kids. And Angel learned one important fact that the rich will do anything to keep their money. That's all they think about. That, that's a poverty. I mean, it may not be a poverty of material goods or, or possessions, but that fear, that's in poverty. You know what I mean? So they're enslaved. And yeah, they're enslaved to that fear of losing everything. They they wouldn't know what to do if they lost everything. So um, so I get it. Like, yeah, I mean, I get it. And then there's people that are there's people that are poor because politicians, government officials, um, continue to hand them things and say, Hey, we're gonna take care of you. And you know, don't worry about that don't worry about this um you know we'll take care of you and what they don't realize is that these politicians don't care about them they care about themselves and they're using you and they're keeping you in a position um where you can't take care of yourself that you have to keep coming back to this feudal lord who happens to be a politician for handouts and um and that that's just as much evil, you know what I mean? And um, that's and it's a there. And, it's there. and it's there, and that's racist, and that's a uh, that's an evil that needs to be exposed. Abolish. Abolish um, exposed yeah. But when you do that, you'd expose, you know, probably eighty percent of the politicians, both Republican and Democrat, on both sides. You know what I mean? And so it's something that we just have to deal with. Um, Jesus said, and he may have said it sarcastically. Um, I don't think that Jesus ever really uttered sarcastic words. Um, that's another topic, but um, the poor you will always have. Uh, okay. I mean, he said it. So, you know, if you're trying to eradicate poverty, you're never going to do it for one reason or another. Not um, on this side the, of heaven. Anyway, not on this side of heaven, the poor are always going to be there. Now that doesn't, Jesus isn't saying just embrace poverty and uh, let it happen. Don't fight um, it. Yeah. His, his point is, you know, you're looking at trying to eradicate something that, again, like you said, on this side of heaven, it's never going to be eradicated. Yeah. And um, so. And, and, um, and, but, and we can be, we can still, despite, in spite of that, as Christians, because we have a hope, we can still be optimistic about, about it. We have, again, we have the best solution for poverty. We have the best solution for racism. Because not only does our solution care about this world, our solution cares about the next. And if you can't get justice in this world, you will get justice in the next. If you are poor and destitute in this world, you will be rich in the next. If you are persecuted relentlessly on this earth, you will have peace in the next. So we both, like to your point, we're both in the mud and we have our hands firmly, firmly secure upon stable, you know, things so that not only can we pull ourselves out, but we can pull others. We are the only religion. And I'll say this and I'll back this up. Emphatically. We are the only religion that has the answer to racism, poverty, injustice, um, injustice, systemic inequity, injustice. Yeah. unrighteousness. And, we don't say that enough. Um, and we, and we have the answers and we should be willing to explore those in this book. 
and to figure out through the grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, how to bring peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. Um, so if we're not doing that, there's a problem, um, whether you're conservative or liberal and, um, we need to be doing that. So that is a perfect note to end this conversation. Cool. So hopefully, hopefully for everybody, this conversation was helpful on just some of our ideas. And of course we're not experts and we didn't, well, he may not be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of us may not be. Uh, <laughs> But One of us is credentialed. Obviously, <laughs> we, we probably didn't cover everything and say it, everything the perfect way, but um, no. it might give enough people enough to bite on and consider. And our charge to you, anybody listening to this, is to, to deeply consider these things and to deeply consider the things that you're thinking about, um, posting about, and how you engage with culture and how you use certain words, terminology, um, categories to engage the culture. Um, and, and, and above all, as Oscar said, be students of the word, be in prayer. Like that's so important. You can't adequately engage the culture, um, engage your brothers, even uh, engage the social ills that are happening. If you're not grounded in the word, we all have a lot of work to do there, including me and Oscar. Amen. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you're interested to learn more about what I do, you can check me out at www.weirdfishmedia.com. That's weirdfishmedia.com. And you can probably find me on all the other social media platforms out there. Until the next time, this is The Intellectual Bend. Catch you later.